The Free for All Roundtable. Round one. On round one, Reshmi Nair is here, co-host of The Rush. From Power Group Communications, host of The O Show, Laura Babcock is here. Mark Warner, international trade lawyer, and good Wednesday morning to everyone. Let's start with the story of the hour, and that is that at this very hour, apparently, they're still negotiating. Now, they're in separate rooms, and maybe, Mark, I'll start with you. I don't know if you ever presided over or were, you know, sort of the umbrella for uh, government negotiations with workers, but maybe you have a bit of a better impression of what's going on at the Sheridan Center with both parties in different rooms and a mediator apparently going back and forth. No, unfortunately, I don't have any direct experience with that. I mean, I obviously, uh, you know, was in the Ontario government and in the, um, you know... I think we've lost Mark. Um, Reshmi Nair, I get the feeling that this is probably do or die day because the strike is coming on Friday. So maybe we get great news and everything gets wrapped up or, um, you know, maybe we end up concluding today that it's inevitable that some people have to stay home on Friday to to look after their kids. Yeah, everybody wants great news. Everybody wants uh, something to work out and schools to stay open and life to continue. But I think that the display we saw yesterday out on the streets, uh, people are upset. And, and, and that needs to be considered in this negotiating if there is negotiating to be had today. Laura Babcock and Reshmi's absolutely right. I was somewhat startled to see how many people turned out uh, yesterday afternoon in a spontaneous protest. I was also surprised, and I realized it's a straw poll, but when CTV was interviewing parents outside of schools, an awful lot of them were saying that they were on the side of the workers. I'm not surprised by that at all. Those of us who saw what those workers went through, who understand uh, during the pandemic, they put their lives at risk going into those schools when some of us were happy to stay home and work, right? Uh, They don't get paid very well. This doesn't feel like there was any good faith from the Ford government in terms of even negotiating. When you're invoking the notwithstanding clause kind of at the start of the conversation, it doesn't feel like they even had any kind of opportunity. It felt like they were being bullied by the Ford government. And so So as a parent, I support the workers. We're we're talking about people who get paid very little, who worked very hard the last couple of years, who aren't being treated fairly. And I think that even though we've had our kids off way too much and I want my kids in school, I also believe in the principles of fairness. And I believe that these workers deserve support. So even though some boards are open and some boards are closed, my kids' board's going to be open, but my kids won't be there on Friday. I want these workers to have some support. I want to give them some solidarity. Okay. Now, uh, we have been in <laughs> putting up with some unfortunate technical issues. Mark Werner, we finally cashiered out of the Zoom system and put him on the phone. Uh, Mark <laughs> Werner, you get the last word on the where we are in this conflict and uh, whether, we're, you know, whether we're looking at a pretty major amount of upheaval on Friday. Look, I think, I think there's a problem here, and it's one that we've been, no government has really figured out how to deal with, which is that We've had this 40-year-old charter, and the Supreme Court has essentially gone rogue on a number of cases. And, you know, in, in one of these ways, you know, that I think they've done that is in this area of, 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 of the right to strike. And so governments, including the Trudeau Liberal government when it comes to railways, has had to use back-to-work legislation. And I, I, the question is, what do we do when you have a rogue Supreme Court decision that sits there um, and what are governments supposed to do in terms of getting the job done that they're elected to do? And there's a few of some people who say, well, they, you know, you should defer. But that's not the Constitution that we passed in 1982. The Constitution that we passed in 1982 said 
that the final say would always come back to the legislature. And people might not like that, but that's the price of getting the charter. So um, what should happen is the Supreme Court and others should actually start looking at some of these rogue decisions and and, uh, rebalancing the rights. Because the position that you're in as a government when you're faced with a union now, a public sector union, is you basically, if they have a constitutional right to strike that cannot be altered, then you have no choice but to acquiesce to them. So it's crazy. And so I'm not surprised. Well, you can make them essential. You can, but that usually leads to fatter contracts. Um, right. So I don't want to get bogged down in a constitutional discussion necessarily, but Reshmi, if I can turn to you for a second. Justin Trudeau and Seamus O'Regan condemning the invocation of the notwithstanding clause by the provincial government. I know they didn't use the clause, but a lot of people are saying, wait a second, the guy who said I couldn't get on a plane unless I got a vaccine, the guy who had people fired for not getting the vaccine is now the guy saying that you can't legislate people back to work in Ontario? I think I think every elected official can say they were public health measures during a pandemic that were shared around other governments around the world in a global effort to try to stop the spread of a virus. So that's different. Right. Uh, But yeah, listening to Justin Trudeau, it sounded like gaslighting. It was a bit like, wow, we're having this conversation. Um, But as I've learned from Scott Reid, there's also issues in Quebec with the notwithstanding clause. Right. So I think the prime minister uh, and Seamus O'Regan are, are looking at both Quebec and Ontario, and I'm just speculating here, but I think they're looking at both Quebec and Ontario when they make these comments. So maybe we shouldn't take it as personally, but uh, you know, they're looking at what's happening. Seamus O'Regan's the labor minister. This is Canada. And uh, you want to question the right to strike. Uh, that is upheaval. Well, um, one yep. quick point, though, Doc, I think this is extremely important here. You don't even need to get to the Emergency Act. The Trudeau government has used the same kind of back-to-work legislation in the context of rail strikes in their in their yeah, seven-year and, mandate. and Canada Post. And Canada Post, yeah. yeah. Right, so... Okay, but did they invoke the notwithstanding clause at the time? Uh, they didn't need to because the, the, the unions didn't say that they weren't going to abide by it. They, they, but they did have the strong back-to-work requirement. And, and, and that, that's my problem with this, is that faced with the education workers, that I, I don't know what a government, whether it's even the McGinty government, and I've lived through some of that when I was in government, or Ford government, when you're faced with those kind of militant education unions in Ontario, I don't know what choice an elected government has. That's just the reality. So I think we have you, to... You've got to work it out, right? I mean, yeah, the, this, this union, this association has a mandate from the people they represent. An, an yeah. overall mandate then, to strike. That, that part's not really being considered or included in these discussions, right? That they represent uh, real people in this province, and those people said, yes, union, let our employer know. And, and also the parents want to see good faith negotiations in this. Yeah. I'm sorry, what's that again? The parents want to see good faith negotiations in this, you know, bringing out the hammer so soon on this where it is Ontario, it is Canada, it is labor unions, it is messy, but let's have the conversation, fight it out, go somewhere between 11% and 2%. It does not have to be this, you fall in line or you're in big trouble and we're going to try to bankrupt you out. It can be, you know what, this sucks, but we wanted the gig as elected officials. We've got to work with these unions. This isn't new. And parents are sitting there going, come on, sit down and do your job. Don't do these 5 a.m. You know, shows of, of, of discussion in the legislature. Get at the table and get this counteroffer back, which apparently there's one that might be coming today from the government, and let's hope they have one. But we want to see negotiations in good faith. But that's, it's not just parents, though. That's part of the problem in this discussion. The, the, the stakeholders, when it comes to the education file, are not just parents and teachers. They're also taxpayers. 
I'm a taxpaying yeah, parent. <laughs> you are. Look, I think <laughs> I think I think there has been okay, one at a time. There has been some Okay, hold on, Reshmi, for a second. Mark, finish your point, and then we'll go to Reshmi. Yeah, I'm just saying that there are other stakeholders here who have a say and who might not want to give give in so easily just so uh, the buses run on time. Reshmi. I just want to add some positivity. I think there might be some progress with the negotiations that Laura's flagging here, if only because since the Sunday overnight stress for all of us, uh, there was some talk in the media. Laura Walton pointed out that the $3.25 an hour, they're willing to negotiate past the first year in a four-year contract. Uh, the province saying yesterday, yeah, we're willing to negotiate. We're willing to keep talking. There could be some room if we get the first year sorted and then in the next three years of a four-year contract, there's some negotiating there. Uh, so hopefully something happens before and there, was, there was a news alert 43 seconds ago saying that there's they're expecting a counteroffer today. That's why I referenced it. So let's hope. The union is yeah. expecting an offer from the government, you mean? Yeah, it just okay. came up on CTV, yeah. All right. Um, that's excellent news. So maybe we do get the positive outcome we were hoping for today. Um, Toronto developers should be allowed to build on uh, golf courses as long as they guarantee that a portion of the golf course becomes a public park. Um, Laura Babcock, let me put this to you because, for me, it's kind of a personal story. The golf course we're talking about here is Flemington, a family-owned nine-hole classic golf course, which is almost in the heart of Toronto. Toronto, but now developers say, let us buy, let us build on it, and then we'll give about 80% of the land back to Parkland. Sounds like an attractive offer, but it's also the end of golf <laughs> at Flemington. It's the end of golf in, the, in an urban center, and I'm for this. I'm sorry, John, and I'll admit my bias. I'm not a big golfer, although I had to do a lot when I used to run a chamber of commerce. It was kind of a thing, but I was never for it in urban centers. If you can golf, if you can afford it, presumably you can get a car to take yourself slightly out of town. We need urban parks. We need housing. We are in an absolute crisis. And I'm hoping this won't just be a bunch of McMansions on the golf course. I'm hoping we're talking about a mix of affordable, deeply affordable housing, the kind of housing development that this province desperately needs. So yes, having big golf courses in the middle of urban centers when we shouldn't be having parks and housing, 100%. We need to move forward with this, not just in Toronto, in all cities in Canada. Okay, and Reshmi uh, Gil Pendelosa uh, <laughs> tweeting out yesterday that it's uh, it's just wrong to have golf courses on land that should be housing. I will point out uh, Gil Penulosa got 18% of the mayoral vote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wants to turn everything concrete green. Uh, uh, yeah, and, but uh, I, I'm sorry, John. I, I am still <laughs> so bitter. I, I live in the East End and that Gardner ramp going out to Lakeshore being gone uh, has hurt me so much that I think everyone in Toronto needs to feel the injury of what it's like to redevelop a city. It sucks. <laughs> okay, but uh, that sounds a little bit like revenge more than urban development. Well, yeah, I mean, well, they're going to make bad decisions, right? I I relied on that ramp, so I think it's a bad decision. You love golfing, so you think it's a bad decision. I think we as a collective need to, you know, drink what Laura's drinking and just accept it. All right, Mark Warner. <laughs> Coffee, <but> okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, I saw your exchange this morning about cricket, John. So I, I like this idea of converting all the um, golf courses into cricket uh, 
um, whatever you call them, feel. Yeah. Well, I mean, to, to explain the background to that, Gil Penaloso was saying if we were talking about a cricket pitch instead of a golf course, nobody would put up with it. And as a matter of fact, cricket is the fastest growing sport in southern Ontario. So a lot of cricket pitches are being built. But let's move on to one last issue, and not everybody's going to be able to weigh in on this one. Uh, Laura Babcock, I'll start with you. Tasha Kiridan was with us a little while ago on the show to forward her theory that people believe extreme political stupid things because of high levels of illiteracy. I'm not, I love Tasha, but I'm not entirely convinced. But what an alarm bell. I mean, come on, let's face it. If you look at so much of the of the crap that we've seen, uh, even the stuff in this so-called freedom convoy, one of the powerful tigers they tried to ride, Pat King, it was video stuff, right? Video, video, video. It's so much easier to consume video. It doesn't require high levels of literacy. It's incredibly impactful. Twi- TikTok is what it is as a force because of its short form video. And I have to spend all day hearing stuff from my kids from from TikTok, from video, and trying to get them to look at that critically. And, the, and my kids have literacy skills. But boy, if you don't have those literacy skills, it is so easy to be manipulated through video format and through these platforms. Like I think Tash is on to something we should all pay attention to. Forget about your particular politics for the moment. Let's look at the core foundational literacy issues in this country and in North America. And let's realize the pernicious effect of these video platforms and start to get on it and be care- more careful and teach our kids critical thinking, please. My thanks to Laura Babcock, Reshmi Nair. Reshmi's back at 2 p.m. this afternoon, along with Scott Reed and Mark Warner. Catch the Roundtable, round one at 7.45, round two at 8.45. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.